You may not like what I'm going to say, but I'm going to say it anyway because I'm not afraid to speak out. I think that the music in hell for eternally be some of this rock music with all its vulgarities. And to Lost in the Catacombs, your host, Josh, back with you yet again for episode lucky number 13 of your favorite extreme music podcast. Thanks again for tuning in week in and week out. As always, so cool to connect with each and every one of you talking about something we're all passionate about with heavy music. Hope everyone also had a great week, and let's kick off this weekend talking a little bit about black metal, specifically U.S. black metal, and as you've seen with the episode title, even though you have, I'll keep a little bit of suspense rolling for now, we will be joined by one of the faces of the U.S. black metal scene at the moment. He has just blown up over the last year, year and a half. I was truly honored that he took the time out of his busy schedule right now to join the podcast and talk a little bit more about that project and his new album that is out right now. We will jump into that here in a few moments, but before that, let's get some housekeeping out of the way. You can follow me on Twitter at Catacombs Media, on Instagram at Lost Catacombs Media, You can also find me on Facebook by doing a simple search for Lost in the Catacombs. And if you have any questions, you can email me at lostinthecatacombspodcast at gmail.com. You can also find me on Substack, which features various Q&As with international extreme music bands. That's at lostinthecatacombs.substack.com. All right. Now we've got that out of the way, let's dive in to a little bit of extreme music news. A few albums out this week that might catch your attention. First and foremost, the new Mismore album will be out this week, today, if you're listening to the podcast on July 21st. The new Mismore album. It came out on YouTube the day prior for the preview. I took a listen to it. Absolutely phenomenal. Just exactly what you would expect from Mismore. Blackened Doom metal music. This one a little bit more on the Doomish side, I would say, but obviously still a lot of black metal influence in there as well. A very cathartic and beautiful record. I've dug every Mismore release. The last full-length Karen, I was absolutely blown away by, so obviously I was stoked to dive into this one as well and lived up to my expectations and then some. So yeah, super stoked on that. The new record is called Prosaic. If you do listen and you do dig it, make sure you support the mastermind behind Mismore ALN. 
great guy. I had the pleasure of talking to him just a few weeks ago. So, yeah, make sure you check out Prosaic, the new album by Ms. Moore. Also, we must talk about the news that Blood Incantation is back in the studio. And what what a thrill to see that as a Blood Incantation fan. I was a huge fan of Time Wave Zero, their ambient Journey Through the Cosmos album that... You know, it was a very Gorguts approach to just doing something totally unexpected. But yeah, obviously, Hidden History of the Human Race is a classic death metal record. So I'm assuming they'll get back into the death metal side of things, which, you know, what happens when you assume. But um, yeah, super stoked to see what is next for Blood Incantation. Not sure when we'll get that release, assuming probably first or second quarter of next year. But I'd be remiss if I did not throw that into the news portion of this episode. Along those same lines, and I know this information and announcement came out just a couple weeks ago, but I did not tackle it. Cannibal Corpse and Mayhem going on tour. And Blood Incantation is opening up the show, followed by Gorguts. So we have Blood Incantation setting things off, followed by the legendary Gorguts, followed by the legendary True Mayhem, and then the legends in Cannibal Corpse headlining. That tour is embarking all across the United States, so more than likely coming to a city near you. Obviously, that is one of the tours of the summer in terms of extreme music. But just in the last week, we had another tour announcement. And again, this one, absolutely incredible. Right now, as heavy music fans, we are just being spoiled with new music and tours this year. This tour, known as the United We Rot Tour 2023, features Mulder opening up, Phobophilic, Enforced, and Jungle Rot. What an incredible lineup. I will absolutely 100% be in the concussion protocol following this show. And I'm in my 30s now, and I have pledged to retire from moshing or getting crazy at shows because my body is breaking down in my old age. But yeah, I think I'm coming out of retirement for one night at the very least. I'll probably do it too at the Blood Incantation, Cannibal Corpse, Mayhem, Gorgut show as well, but whatever. This is absolutely insane. Cannot wait to hit up that show. Looks like it's starting in September, so check the band's Instagrams, social medias, and see if it's coming to a town near you. And I guess one more thing before we do end this news segment, and I guess I should have mentioned this directly after the discussion on the Cannibal Corpse Mayhem tour this fall, but it looks like we're getting a new Mayhem live album. There's a countdown clock for the single off of that live record for July 21st at noon. The live album is called Demonic Rights Live. 
So getting some new Mayhem material, it's pretty sweet. Makes sense that this is coming out just a little bit before the tour. They're going to be promoting it on that tour. So yeah, pretty awesome that we're getting some new Mayhem material here in 2023. But anyway, let's go ahead and introduce today's guest. You already know who it is, but let's introduce him anyway. This week we are joined by the man behind Black Braid, John, otherwise known as Skagasawa. If you are unfamiliar with Black Braid, here is a quick synopsis. From the Adirondack Wilderness, Black Braid is an indigenous black metal solo project featuring Skagasawa, as we just mentioned. The project really came together back in 2022 and in the summer, specifically when he released his debut album, Black Braid 1. As you'll hear in this interview, John, otherwise known as Skagasawa, really started putting this thing together in the winter of last year, meaning 2021, 2022. So it is a relatively new project, but has just kind of taken off in such a short amount of time. He has been on tour with legendary bands such as Dark Funeral, most recently, and Cattle Decapitation. And he just released his brand new album, Black Braid 2, to much critical acclaim. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview, but first let's play a clip from the album Black Braid 2. This song is called The Spirit Returns. John, first off, thanks so much for doing this, man. Obviously, by now, everybody's heard Black Braid 2. It's out everywhere. I'm sure the last year has just been absolutely insane for you. The debut album, Black Braid 1, the reception to that album, going on tour with legendary bands. Obviously, like I said, I'm sure it's all just been a whirlwind. How are you looking back on these last 12 months? Maybe not particularly just this album release, but holistically, how are you looking at everything? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it has been, it has been really crazy. Uh, it's kind of hard to like, I, to even, uh, comprehend sometimes like how, how much has happened in such little time. Like I was thinking this morning, actually, uh, like this time last year, uh, Black Braid, like I still didn't even have a live lineup. 
Um, and we hadn't played a show yet or anything. Like our first show was last September. So, um, it's only been like 10 months or something, something like that. Uh, pretty nuts to think about. Um, you know, the tour, our last tour was our first tour. And, uh, I don't think we could have got like a more ideal first tour ever. Like no one gets to go out with dark funeral or cattle decap on their first tour or both of them. So that's crazy. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't even really like this time last year, I wasn't even sure if black braid was going to be a live thing. We were just starting to like start form the live lineup. And, uh, I didn't really want a tour to be honest. Like I still don't, I'm not a huge fan of it. I like it, but it's hard and it's, it's really hard work, honestly. So, um, but like when there's bands like that coming at me, with you can't it, say like no. dark feet. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> yeah, it's been pretty great. Honestly, like, I definitely have zero complaints. Just on social media and everything. I was seeing the reactions to your live shows on that tour. Were you surprised by the reactions and the, like, I guess the admiration for your music, was that shocking to you? Just hearing everybody's thoughts on the live show? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, we expected people to like it, you know, we love what we're playing. We always have fun up there, but I think it the, the shocking thing was just the sheer, sheer numbers. Um, like we had so many people turn out in like massive waves to see us every night and definitely didn't expect that, you know, as an opener with all these other awesome bands on there um it was pretty it was know. pretty heartwarming yeah to see that's like, when you know was... you're doing something right when you're the opening act and people aren't just people are waiting for the opening act right people aren't just you know slowly coming in but it seems like people were actually showing up packing the house for your opening performance which has to be like you said humbling yeah yeah it absolutely was like almost like pretty much every single night it was like that we didn't have a single bad show on the tour like every night it was amazing and uh yeah people like blew us away i was like kept waiting for us to have like a slow show or something and it just never happened so <laughs> yeah so this is this is an interesting question i think you said you never expected to take this live so i'm sure like when you were writing these songs you never took into account how they would come across in a live setting. Were you nervous about that or did it kind of just transition smoothly? You know, black metal's always been a pretty raw thing. And, um, we do keep the live performance pretty raw. Like we don't use backtracks or, uh, like a click or anything like that, which is kind of, uh, abnormal now. Uh, but yeah, with it, you know, kind of just being like a raw organic thing, like, uh, it's always in my mind, like when I go see black metal and it's like, I'd almost prefer it to be more raw than like perfect, you know, like it doesn't need to sound like the album in my mind. So I kind of took the same approach with black braid and like, um, I think it worked really well. Like I kind of let those guys have a lot of freedom with their parts and stuff on those songs. And, um, they aren't exactly how, how they come out on the album, but I think they sound really good. And, it's definitely like its own experience to see us live, I think. Yeah, black metal for sure, especially in a live setting. And I guess on records as well, it's just all about the atmosphere you're creating. Just seeing some of the clips. I didn't get to make it out to this tour. didn't stop here in Indy where I live, but I guess I could have traveled. So that makes me kind of lame, I guess. But um, yeah, man, I think, I think you guys are on to something special, especially with the live performance. I think the songs and everything really transition well. Before we go any further, I know you said, and you've alluded to this, you just kind of threw those first Black Braid songs up 
on YouTube, I think it was, you weren't expecting any reception or attention at all. And I know everything kind of happened quickly. At what point did you realize that you did have something special that was connecting with listeners and an audience? I think it was pretty early on, like, uh, maybe, um, so I just started this, you know, last year, like in the winter, it was like February, I think when I put up my first song and then March or something, but even by like, uh, like April and May, I started getting offers from like bigger labels, uh, you know, like metal labels, but, um, that was kind of like, you know, that was so early on, but even back then that was kind of like when the switch flipped in my head, like, um, you know, I'm a new band and I have nothing out and no media <laughs> and like I have two singles and these labels are giving me offers. And it's like, uh, it was kind of like at that point, um, you know, that, that was like around the time I was like entertaining all these offers too. And then kind of made the decision to like buckle down and stay independent. But yeah, I mean, the fact that like, uh, the labels were on me from the start was kind of like, this is kind of weird. And <laughs> uh you know same thing like um before sakandaga like those were the only those are the only two songs i had out for months and like it just kept kind of snowballing so um it was even before we played live like it was kind of its own beast i think you don't have to name any names but were they relatively big metal labels yeah i mean i'm i'm not gonna call anyone out but i've turned down most of the metal labels I yeah. could name off the top of my head at this point, you know, yeah. like there was one or two big ones that I was like kind of deer in the headlights at the beginning. But <laughs> once I realized that I didn't really want a label and I wanted to stay independent, like, yeah, over the course of the last year or two, I've probably turned down 20 labels, like big and small. Wow. I don't know. Yeah. So obviously there's plenty of factors that come into taking the DIY route, but what was the major motivation for you to take that route? Um, I guess it's just cause I want to like be in control of my own music and the art and stuff. And I don't really want to answer to anyone. I don't want to have to write shit. Like I write in pretty, uh, I write in waves, I guess, you know, like I'll go like a few, few years where I'm writing all the time and then I'll go a few years where I'm not writing ever. So it's like, um, I really like the ability to write whatever I want and not have to write a certain amount of albums in a certain amount of years. Like that really kind of irks me the wrong way that shit and then honestly the money too is like uh labels just take so much of your money most of them want like 70 to 80 percent of your money um which is like a standard thing for them to start their offers at in this industry and it's like when you look at that like you don't really need to be that big uh to uh support yourself if you don't have a label like there's a lot of bands out there with labels that are like starving artists and struggling but it's only because their labels taking like everything they make from them like if those bands were paid anywhere near even half their own sales that they're you know their artists making like they'd be doing a lot better i think so once i started seeing the numbers and stuff and the sheer breakdown it's like i don't even need to be that big to support myself if i don't have a label so that's kind of where my mind was at to start because like i was small and it's like you know a few hundred or a thousand CDs or something is not that hard to pack. It's not like I'm going to sell like 10 or 20,000 CDs. So it's like, if I had only got to order four or 500 CDs and even if I sell them all, like I can pack that in two or three days, you know? So 
was like, why would I get a label if I can just do it myself <laughs> at that small size? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. yeah, and like in regards to like you kind of scaling up very quickly, you kind of did that on your own, right? You didn't need a label to push anything. You just kind of it kind of happened organically, right? So, I guess if you think about it, it took off quicker than probably any label could have pushed you at all. Yeah. Yeah, well at some point like I mean, like when I was getting offers from these labels too, like I could kind of see that starting to happen like um because i mean you know they're all out there and you can like look at the big bands they have on their rosters and you can be like you know like if say this one label is focusing on this one band and you go google that band and it's like i'm already doing better than this band currently so it's like whatever that label can do for me is not equal to what i'm already doing for myself was a lot of the thinking too um why do you think a lot of bands don't have that mentality. I think a lot of it is the money, to be honest. Like, uh, so even like a small run of albums is like still a pretty good chunk of money. Like, a, you know, thousands of dollars, several thousand dollars. Same thing for like a van, you know, um, it's going to be 10 or 15,000 minimum to rent a little van for a tour or something um, these days. So like a lot of the bands have the labels just because they don't, they can't, uh, front themselves the money for it so like that's mainly what these labels are like surviving on is like or you know staying relevant on is like being able to front these bands tens of thousands of dollars when they don't have it so they can go on tour or they can print a vinyl press you know stuff like that um but i mean i guess i was just in a unique situation you know like i, I mean i'm definitely not rich but like i was doing carpentry before this like me and my wife are like do decent so um, and I have good credit, so that's pretty much how we started. Black Braid <laughs> is like I took out an extra line of credit, and we we put all the first orders on credit because uh, you know I didn't have thousands of dollars laying around to order CDs or tapes or anything either. So, uh, and then once we made it back, we were fine, and now we just like use our revenue to keep it going. But I think ninety percent of it is the bands like don't have the money yeah. um, just to like get themselves off the ground because like once you're there and you're like making money and you have it coming in and you're ordering more shit like you're fine but it's the initial like it just costs so much to like get a physical release off the ground like most people sure. can't do it without a label or like they don't realize they can do it without a label like i'm sure it's pretty risky like taking out a line of credit for it you know but yeah i'd still rather do it that way than <laughs> than pay someone like more than half the profits of it to do it for me so I didn't even ask this question and this goes back to some of the surreal moments in your career, but just in the last couple of weeks, man, black metal was in the New York times and you were the, you were the guy behind it. What was that like seeing yourself in the New York times with, you know, black metal was mainstream for a minute in the news. Yeah, that's pretty crazy. Um, that was in the works for like a really long fucking time. <laughs> so I kind of forgot it was even happening. Um, uh, it was very surreal though. Like they hit me up the New York times. Um, Cause we played with Holder in New York city, like last year in February. Uh, and that's where those photos are from. They're back from like the February show and stuff. They were in that article. Um, but they kind of hit me up in February and they're like, we saw you have a New York times show and we wanted to do, or we saw you have a New York city show and we wanted to like come and 
do a piece on you and i was like damn that's fucking crazy but you know whatever yeah come you guys can come and whatever uh and they came and took live photos and like i didn't really think of it much past that and then uh because she was like you know it's gonna be months before like we put this in i'll probably do it around your your release or whatever and i was like that's cool and then i just forgot about it and then she uh you know, and then it came out and I was like, holy shit, like, <laughs> I didn't really expect like a full page or whatever, but yeah, it was pretty surreal. Um, it's probably the first time my parents, well, not the first time, my parents love Blackbraid, <laughs> they're always, they're always happy for me, but like, I think that one like really shocked them when I was like, holy, they were, they thought I was the coolest fucking person on earth <laughs> when, I, when they saw the New York Times article, so. They're like, oh, wow, this thing really has taken off. Like, obviously, there's those moments where they're like, oh, he's doing okay. But then you see the New York Times and they're like, at that point, you might as well just be Kiss, I guess, if you're just yeah. looking at the New York Times. <laughs> but um, yeah, man, I just kind of rewinding back a little bit. I, I like to ask this question because um, I find it interesting how people get into like the extreme side of music. But where did you start with music in general? And then how did that progress into falling in love with the extreme side of things? Yeah, I mean music i probably uh i've been listening to metal most of my life like i was probably like 10 or 12 or something when i first started listening to metal so it's you know i'm in my 30s now so it's definitely been a while um like before that before metal i think uh i was listening mostly to just like classic rock like uh and you know really just like whatever my parents listen to um my parents listened to a lot of like classic rock from like the sixties and seventies. So, um, was raised and stuff, you know, like, uh, the doors and Led Zeppelin and, um, just like very classic crap like that. Um, but then when I was probably, you know, by the time I was probably like 10 or 12, um, I was listening to the radio and like, it started with radio metal, like back then, um, stuff like, uh, Metallica and, um, Judas Priest and crap was on the radio a good amount. So like I discovered all that crap first and then kind of started digging deeper. Um, and then like when I was like 13, 14, I was able to start going to shows and that's like when I really got deep dive into metal. Like once I was at a metal show, it was over, you know, like yeah, <laughs> I was, I was hooked from then on. So where does black metal come in? Probably right around there. Like that first year really? or two, I was listening to metal. Yeah. Like, uh, there was a bunch of shows. Like, I think when I turned 13, I like started going to shows and like, we'd have our parents, like one of our friends, parents or something would have to like fucking chaperone us back then. And they'd bring like three of us or something, but we went to some pretty brutal shows, like dragged our like moms and dads to them. Like, I remember like I saw a dying fetus or something when I was like 14 <laughs> and like made my dad go with me. It was like skinless and dying fetus. Um, but yeah, I think as far as like black metal goes, like that same year, I was also like, uh, I saw Opeth that year, um, and like they prob they pretty much like opened the floodgates of like European metal in all forms to me. I'd say because it was a lot of American stuff I was listening to before that, like Pantera and Lamb of God and shit like that. Um, so yeah, it was probably when I was really young I saw Opeth, and after that, uh, like Cradle of Filth was a big um european one that i was into like really young so like yeah bands like that demon Borgir. yeah um Opeth, it was all like man. within the first year i discovered that shit and i was like 
you must have seen Opeth when they were touring Blackwater Park, right? Uh, I saw them on the Deliverance Damnation tour. Oh, okay. first, gotcha. It was the first time I saw them. It was, those... it was uh, Moonspell and Devil Driver. Oh, wow. Weird, weird lineup, yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah, man, that, that was the... I think that must have been like 2003 or 2004. Oh, okay. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah, so Blackwater Park was like 2000, 2001, I think. So I mean, that was peak era for Opeth. So I never got yeah, to see Yeah, I mean, I remember they played like an hour and hour and a half or something. They had like a intermission, which I've seen them do that a few times, but in their set when they played and like, I was just blown away, dude. Like it was like, it went by in like five minutes and I had never seen a band like that. So, and I was probably like 14 or something. So yeah, from then on, I was hooked. Like it was all Scandinavian metal for me and shit after that. Yeah. So. So is that about the time that you started really kind of picking up the guitar and playing? Um, I played guitar for a while before that, I think. Um, maybe a few years. Like, I started learning guitar when I was young. Uh, like I was in, like, fourth grade or something. I don't know how old that would make me. Because um, my dad had a guitar, and I started messing around on it. Like, I was probably, like, nine or eight or nine or something when I started playing guitar i should probably be way better at it by now if you think that way but <laughs> it's not about being great at it it's about being able to create a song right which and creating these melodies which you're doing with black braid right like obviously people classify it as melodic black metal or whatever you can categorize anything right did you have any other projects before black braid or was this the first one you really kind of just threw out there yeah, this was pretty much it. Like, when I was younger, I played in bands with other guys and shit. Like, locally, like, boring, small shit. Uh, but I also, like, didn't really write any of that stuff. Um, I was always just playing other dudes' riffs, you know? Um, and I was always just doing guitar or whatever. Um, so, yeah, Black Braid was, like, my first kind of jump into writing, I guess. Who convinced you to actually tackle this or move forward with it was it just one day you were like you had the confidence to move forward with black braid or was it kind of something that built up over time or was there someone that encouraged you to they were like hey man you like you have a talent for this like shoot for it yeah i don't think anyone i mean people have always been supportive of me like um my wife definitely liked it when i started you know but i think it was more just wanting to do it um like i never really uh felt like any of my riffs were that good to be honest until like i started writing like barefoot was the first time i actually had like enough riffs for a song that i felt like this is pretty good and like i kind of wanted to record it and then i started writing river after that and like once the basis for both of those songs were like solidified in my head i was like maybe i should just record these so yeah i've seen you say before that you're creating music that you want to like encourage and inspire people to embrace nature. Why was that an important subject or idea for you to convey to your audience? I guess it's just important to me, you know, that's like uh, how I live my life. I spend a lot of time in nature. And I have a lot of respect for it. So it just seemed like kind of the easy thing to write about. Like it's already, it's already there again. <laughs> I don't yeah. have to think about much to get in that mindset. So yeah, specifically with Black Braid 2, 
there's a lot of, or a few different themes that you intertwine into there. Where did you, obviously nature is going to come into play, but mainly where did you want to tackle and take this record in terms of its themes and everything? I guess I didn't really have an idea, but it all kind of just came together. Um, like nature is a huge underlying theme of the album. Uh, so is death. Like a, most of the songs have to do with death in some way or um, the emotions that come along with death. Uh, but yeah, I never really planned it out, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. I kind of yeah. just kept writing until I was like, oh, I think it's done now. Yeah. <laughs> When you're writing these songs, do you have it in your head before that you want to kind of create these epics or does it kind of just naturally flow that way? And whenever you're done, you're done, if that makes sense. Like, do you set out to create a 10 minute long song or it does it just kind of happen? Yeah, it, it kind of just happens. Like I, uh, I definitely don't try to make them long, but, um, Usually it's it's really just the song structure, I think. Like, I, uh, you know, if I really like a riff, I want to keep bringing it back, and sometimes I'll repeat it, like, way too long, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Um, or I'll just be like, um, you know, I don't think it's done yet, and I'll just keep adding on to it until I feel good about it. So, some, yeah, I never really plan it out, but sometimes they get quite long. How many riffs do you think you go through when you're putting an album together, how many do you think you throw away and how many do you think you actually keep? Um, man, I don't even know. Like, uh, I don't really have riffs that get thrown away to start with. Like I never really have bad riffs on the table. Like I'll only really try to put a riff in a song after I'm like really convinced that I love it. Um, so like in an, like occasionally there'll be some riff that I'm like, I really want to put this on the album and then it just doesn't make it in. But um, that doesn't happen too often. Like usually if I really love a riff, I'll find a way to make it work and get it in there. So it's not like I had like a ton of material, like just laying around after, after the album was done, like pretty much there wasn't much. Yeah. There wasn't much to discard after, <laughs> Yeah, after I was done with it. Obviously for those that have listened to Black Braid 2, there's a lot of, very unique soundscapes, different instrumentation. I guess the only way I can describe it is like it, it does come across sonically as nature, right? There's like flutes on there and just like these different like unique soundscapes. Why did you want to incorporate that more throughout this record in comparison to Black Braid 1, which still has those unique like uh, sonic atmospheres? But with this one in particular, it seems like you really kind of honed in on maybe making sure that you wanted to include more of that. I had never really thought about it that way, I guess. I kind of just tried to get it all out there, like every, everything that I wanted to do. Um, and I think maybe, yeah, I just had, there wasn't much fluid on the first album, so maybe I had a bit more floating around in my head when I was doing the writing, but um, I don't think it was ever like a conscious decision to, to inc include a certain amount of it, really. Yeah, I guess more so along the lines of, did it just kind of make sense with the, you know, the songs that you felt like you were writing for this record in particular? Did I guess maybe I was asking, did it just kind of make more sense to include them on this one because you were getting that feel that they would work more so on this record rather than the first one? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, 
it definitely feels like a bit more of a vibrant record, I think. So I think they definitely fit better at times anyway. I have to ask you about this track in particular. So funny story, I was traveling for work, right? And I was traveling home from Virginia. So you fly over mountains and everything, obviously going back to the nature theme. But I was going to hold off on listening until I got the my vinyl copy in the mail. And I'm on the plane and I'm like, screw it. I was like, I downloaded it. And I was like, I'm going to listen to Blackberry 2 on this flight home. So I'm listening. Like, obviously the singles are on there. I listened to those like countless times before. And, you know, obviously I love the record up until this point. But when Twilight Hymn of Ancient Blood hit me, I was like, I had chills. And I'm not just saying that because you're here or on the podcast. Like I've <laughs> tweeted about it, whatever. Dude, when that song hit, and then I think like three or four minutes in, when it really picks up, it's like my favorite song on the record. My favorite part on the record is that one. Talk to me about that song, man. Talk to me about how that one came together. Yeah, that song's pretty funny. Because uh, that's like my song that I just threw on there, I guess. Like, I, uh, wow. It's um not like anything that Blackbird's ever done and it's not even really like a black Absolutely, metal song yeah. it's kind of like doomy in the beginning and then it's like black and thrash at the end so yeah uh yeah it doesn't really fit on there at all and like um that was kind of just me being dumb honestly like I was like <laughs> I really like this song and like <laughs> it doesn't really fit on this record at all but like I kind of wrote it for myself. Like I really love the thrash riff and the whole thing. And, um, you know, I'm independent and I can do whatever I want. And there's 10 tracks on the album. So like if I throw one stupid one on there, like people can suck it if they're angry about it, you know, (laughs) pretty much like I was pretty much like expected that track to go over like pretty poorly. And I'm like, I'm just like, fuck it. I'm going to throw it on there for myself because it's not, really a black braid sounding track at all and then uh i just thought it was badass and i'm like you know i can do whatever i want i'm gonna put it on there so i kind of yet yeah, and it has like it has gotten mixed reviews like a lot of people really fucking love it but i have seen some reviews where people are also like what the hell is this song doing on this <laughs> album like <laughs> dude i love it dude i love uh, it which is kind of like what i expected so uh the fact that most people are, are loving it and like it's getting so much attention as like it's emerged as like one of the favorite tracks of the album for sure among a bunch of people so um yeah i'm pretty pumped but like i never really that track was pretty much like a b-side and it was almost like you know maybe i shouldn't put this on here but i'm going to anyway so (laughs) no you know you should have you absolutely should have but uh you know moss covered bones on the altar of the moon how did you land on that as the first single off the record um that song's really old and like i started writing that like a year ago before uh before the first well before the first one was even out um so it just kind of seemed like the right way to go like that was the first song i wrote and i'm like um because like again like i said it was already done and i was writing back when i was still writing the first album and um i could have slipped it on that first album but i was like no i think like this really needs to be part of the second one. And I'm going to like, this is kind of like the first piece of the second album. So, uh, 
and it was done months before any of those other songs were finished. So it kind of just felt like the right one to put out first to me. Obviously, it's a quick turnaround from Black Braid 1 to Black Braid 2. When did you know you had enough material to put out Black Braid 2 so quickly? And was that always the plan? Or, again, it seems like things just kind of happen organically for you. But, you know, when did you know that you were actually going to be able to put that out this year? I guess actually this summer. I guess last summer when I was put, like when I, when the album was actually dropping, because it had been done for months then, you know, because you got to wait for vinyl production and all that stuff. So like last August when the first album was done, um, it was, I guess, I, maybe even before that, like when it came time to like make the album and like send in the tracks for the test press and stuff, like uh, it was like when I made the decision because Moss was like almost done and it's like I could wait another week or two and finish a song and like put it on the album or I could like I knew I wanted to release it either way and I was like or I could save it and then just commit to writing a second album so um, I decided to do that instead I already had the shells of a few other songs going around and I was like fuck it I can make enough to do a second one so uh, yeah it was probably like last summer sometime. Do you think you'll continue with the numerical album names? I don't know. I didn't really think about it too uh, too much. Uh, it's just kind of hard to like. I've I'm good at naming my songs, but it's really hard to name an album as a whole for me. So it kind of like easier just to give them numerical names to me because they represent like certain points of time in my head or whatever to me. So yeah. um, it's easier to be like this was one and this was two, I guess. But, um, but yeah, just go uh, the Led Zeppelin route. Put yeah, out exactly. <laughs> one through four, and then you put out physical graffiti, and then you continue on from there, man. Like that's that's the path. Yeah, I, I definitely might like put out something one day that's not a numerical release, <laughs> but I don't have like I have no idea what I'm gonna do. To be honest, I don't have any plans. So I like the simplicity of it, though. I like you know, obviously there's Van Halen one, Van Halen two, Led Zeppelin one through four, all that. But like I like the simplicity of the just numerical names that just lets it sit as its own piece of work. Right. You don't have an album name that I guess conveys this overarching theme or anything. I just, I, I think it just lets it stand for what it is. Right. And you said that each song kind of has its own theme, whether it be nature or death or whatever, but yeah, I think that's kind of a, that's a cool approach for sure. It's probably going to be crazy for you to hear this, but you've really kind of cemented yourself as like a front runner or a leader in the U.S. black metal scene right now, do you feel any, like, certain way about that? Do you feel any pressure being kind of one of the faces of the U.S. black metal scene right now? Or is it just kind of, you're just taking it as it is? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty crazy, but I try not to think about it too much. Like, <laughs> there's nothing yeah. I can do about it. So um, I just take it as it comes, I guess. Do you have a favorite riff from the record, Black Braid 2? Oh man, uh, I don't know. Like uh, when I sit down and play, I always start playing Spirit, uh, just kind of by default. Like that's probably yeah. probably something from there. Like either that intro or like that interlude's always in my head. The the like break in the middle of Spirit, where the little tempo change happens, uh, and there's like a lead. Like I really love that kind of immortal type lead in there. Probably maybe that. I don't know. There's yeah. a couple. <laughs> I'll tell you what sticks in my head. It's that vocal cadence at the end of Twilight Hymn of Ancient Blood, where it's just that rapid fire. 
vocal cadence. Oh, that yeah, have that's super fun to play, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to bring that one into the live setting. Uh, I'm sure that one will go over. Well, you just said it split people in half, so maybe you would split the crowd in half with that one. People <laughs> are like, oh, no. Half the people are like, oh, Twilight, Him, Adventure of Blood. Then you have the other people that are just like, ah, oh, Twilight. But, um, It'd be super hard for us to play that live because uh, it's like one of the only songs. I. It's like in a different tuning than every other song I ever wrote. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, logistically, I guess it'd be hard, but yeah. Maybe one day, though. We'll see narrowing it down to like how you do come up with these vocal melodies and these vocal cadences over these riffs and these different soundscapes does that process just come naturally to you and you just kind of go with feel rather than you know a very pinpointed approach or you know how does that work when you come up with like these vocal melodies or these vocal cadences like the one at twilight hymn of ancient blood did you just kind of feel that one and when you were recording or did you think to yourself like yeah man i'm just gonna go with this super rapid fire cadence here yeah, that one was pretty natural. Like, I kind of just knew I wanted to do that from the start. Like, as soon as I wrote the riff, I kind of had the vocal idea in the back of my head already. But there's times where I'll, I'll write the lyrics. I'll spend, like, months writing the lyrics, too. So it's never the same. It's never... In that instance, it was definitely easy, but uh, it it can be pretty difficult, too. So, You know, looking back on this record, what are you most proud of? I, I still really like Spirit Returns um, a lot. Uh, the last song on there, Sadness, is a, is a pretty good one for me too. Like, um, Sadness and uh, Song of Death both have like probably like more emotional weight to them for me personally. So those are probably, whenever I see people complimenting those songs, I always like, I'm extra happy, you know? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. The Bathory cover that, you know, everybody was kind of anticipating and looking forward to hearing A Fine Day to Die. Why did it make sense to cover that particular Bathory song? And did you have any other covers on mind that you were looking at? Obviously, I have huge respect for Bathory. And um, it sounds like it could definitely be a Blackbird song. And the lyrics are pretty, like, open to interpretation, um, you know. It just seemed like a really good fit, and um, you know, it's it's like badass song. So uh, I had ideas for like little leads and stuff. So I wanted to change it up like as little as necessary, pretty much, because the song's pretty much already perfect. But I knew I had to like do something to it, so it wasn't like an exact copy. So I tried to like kind of tamper with it as little as possible, but still make it a different enough to call my own. But yeah um i don't know it just seemed to fit pretty well i guess uh yeah yeah and then finally talk to me about the album artwork beautiful work of art especially if you get the you know the lp edition of it like it just it really captures what i think the visual element of the album is what was the thought process and the idea behind the album art and who did you work with on it um, his name's Adrian Baxter. He's done all my, he did the first album too, actually. Uh, he's a artist based in the UK, but, um, I love his work and, um, he's really easy for me to work with. So, uh, I kind of just wanted to, I had an idea for the album cover in my head, like long, long before it was finished and kind of just wanted it to represent the way I saw the album as a whole and you know i've i 
pretty much just like give him my ideas and he makes them work awesomely so he's awesome yeah. to work with and uh yeah if you had to collab with one other black metal artist here in the states or that's based here in the states who would you like to collab with um man that's pretty uh that's also pretty hard like um i'm friends with uh there's a couple friends i have that i'd love to do shit with that i just haven't because haven't really been around you know uh like uh lamp of murmur or maleficent wolves in the throne room any of those guys i could probably see myself doing something with one day so john thanks so much for doing this man i really appreciate it black braid 2 is out right now one of the best albums you'll hear all year long not just in the black metal genre but john thanks again for doing this man thank you man yeah it's a pleasure Hey everyone, welcome back. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Skagasawa from Black Braid. Such an interesting conversation with the man who is arguably at the forefront right now of the United States black metal scene. Again, such a cool conversation and Black Braid 2 is absolutely phenomenal. If you have not picked that up or checked that out, do so immediately. I cannot recommend it enough. I think that's my weekly catchphrase. I cannot recommend it enough. But anyway, I do want to start doing something new every once in a while, or maybe if we do get into the swing of things with this, maybe we'll do it weekly. Just kind of depends, but for right now, let's go ahead and jump into my first song of the week. It is none other than Kriegsgrabs in Seas of Perdition one of my favorite records to come out so far this year. It's out right now on Wise Blood Records. Again, this will be an occurrence that shines light on bands I'm really digging right now and I think deserve more attention. So let's jump into the first song of the week, In Seas of Perdition by Kriegsgrab off their new album, Fires in the Fall.
All right, friends, let's go ahead and wrap this episode up. But before we leave, I do want to give you my recommendation of the week. We discussed this band earlier, but my recommendation of the week is going to be Ms. Moore's new record, Prosaic. ALN, the man behind Ms. Moore, creates black metal fused with doom elements this record in particular prosaic is very doom heavy but like i said earlier it does not leave out the black metal influences as well they are still there very much so throughout the record it streamed the day before its july 21st release on youtube and you know just listening to it again i was just astounded and mesmerized by yet again another Ms. Moore record it is out everywhere today by the time you hear this like I said on July 21st so get it wherever you stream your music and uh, if you do dig it as I always say buy the record from the artist I think it's time to say goodbye now friends just a reminder to follow me on my socials on Twitter at Catacombs Media, on Instagram at Lost Catacombs Media, by doing a simple search on Facebook for Lost in the Catacombs. Also, you can find me on Substack at lostinthecatacombs.substack.com. And if you have any questions or just want to reach out, feel free to do so at Lost in the Catacombs Podcast at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe and follow the podcast wherever you listen so you get the episodes every Friday when they drop. And also, if you enjoy the show, the best way you can help me out is by obviously sharing the podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, whomever. But you can also leave a five-star review wherever you listen. That helps me out tremendously. So if you could do that, I would very much appreciate it. But until next time, we'll see you again right here in the catacombs. <laughs>